What does God think about you right now? What does God think about you right now? It's rhetorical, so just think about it yourself. You can jot a little note on your phone. I'm assuming that's what you're doing and not fantasy baseball or football or whatever. What does God think about you right now? I was talking to a, uh, a leader who works in business and does things with faith in business. So his, his, he has an organization, and their organization is to train Christian ethics and biblical ethics and loving God and loving your neighbor into the business world and to stand with business leaders when they have difficult questions. And so uh, one of the things he was talking about recently is that the marks of a great leader can see things as they actually are. It can really see what reality is. How many times have we seen in the news you know, some CEO of a giant billion-dollar company who's being fired, and the guy's like, how can this happen? And how it happened was the five years you were CEO, you went from a billion-dollar company to a million-dollar company. And so that's why you're fired. And it seems like sometimes people, leaders especially, get so excited about the vision of things that they can't see the reality of it. Sometimes as Christians, as leaders in our own lives, we get so excited about the vision of things that can be that sometimes it's hard to look at the reality. Second question I have for you. When you answer that question of what does God think about you right now, the second question is what can you do about it? What are you supposed to do about that? We're going to read together in Psalm 73. Will you open your Bible with me, please? If you don't have a Bible, they're on the back table back there. <clears throat> We're going to read Psalm 73 together. This is a Psalm of Asaph. There are a couple different Asaphs in the Bible. We're not 100% sure which one this was. Uh, most of the Asaphs that we find out about biblically are in the same lineage. So there's Asaph, Asaph Jr., Asaph II, Asaph III. It's hard to determine which one is which. This Psalm is either written during David's time. So David, King David in Israel is writing a bunch of Psalms. David is a funny guy. David's a warrior, and then he's the guy when they come back at the end of the warrior stuff, and they're doing their military things, and he gets around the campfire, and he's like, hey, throw me that guitar. He's like this musician guy who's sensitive, and he's a warrior. That's David. So he's got buddies, one of whom is Asaph, who's the head musician of all of the worship stuff. So Asaph is like the worship leader for the nation of Israel. And so specifically what happens is when the Ark of the Covenant is brought out and transported, the Lord had said, when you do this, the priests go before it, and only special people can touch the ark. Only the priests can touch the ark. But there are musicians also going ahead of the ark, sort of paving the way that the Lord's throne is coming through this area. And Asaph is that guy who's leading that. So now, if that's the Asaph who wrote this one, that's him. If it's not, if it's his son or grandson, this could be in a little bit later time when the people of Israel have already gone into some exile and they're in Babylon, and they're writing this psalm as a song. The psalms are really like the songbook of the Israelites. And so this song is being sung to remind the people of God's goodness. And so either way, it's either the guy with David who's leading the ark, or it's a guy who's grown up in that lineage, and he's heard all the stories from dad and grandpa about all the things that have happened and being in God's presence. So we're not 100% sure which one, but... Either way, it's the same kind of context. Let's read this Psalm, Psalm 73 together. Here's what it says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. 
my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them, and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. They are always at ease. They increase in their, in their riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until... I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You have made them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish, I was ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire, beside, desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord, the Lord God, my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Praise the Lord for his word. You ever read this psalm before? It's a good psalm. Some have, some haven't. It's all right. It's not one we usually read in church, is it? Could you imagine singing this? We got some musicians. Let's put the sucker to music. <laughs> let's, do, let's try it. But could you imagine seeing this is the song we're going to sing for worship? What do you think about the song? First impressions. Michael, you can start us off. First impression. What do you think about it? Sentiment is strong. Sentiment is Yeah, absolutely. Amen. See, breaking the ice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Judy. True. Yeah, I agree. Any other initial impressions, thoughts? He's very honest. Very honest. Yeah, it's a honest. It's, he's kind of bearing his soul, isn't he? Have you ever thought this before? You don't have to answer that one out loud. But what's, what is he saying? What's his sentiment? He said he stumbled. Yeah, I almost slipped. He was arrogant. Why are those guys, those guys, doing good? And I'm walking through the stink. But those guys, have you heard what they say? Have you seen how they live? 
I like this fat and sleek. They're fat and sleek. I, yeah, fat and sleek. <clears throat> anyway, but they're fat and sleek. And especially thinking this time, this is the desert. There is no Aldi. There's no Trader Joe's. There's no Deerbergs. It's not like that. So if you're fat and sleek, you're living a good life. You don't know the pangs of hunger. You don't know the difficulty of walking around. But these guys, they seem to be doing it all wrong. They're just arrogant and angry and violence is around them and they do whatever they want. They take what they want. You know, sometimes this appeals to us. There's a reason that shows like Sons of Anarchy are popular. There's a reason that we like mafia movies. That idea of like, man, I'm with this crew. We take what we want. We're, we're important. We're respected. And they fear us. Better to be feared than to want. It's in, it's, in, it's in there somewhere, isn't it? In life. And this guy, he sees that. And he says, those gangsters, they're doing, they're doing awesome. What the heck? I'm walking in innocence, and probably I should just do that. Because what's the point? What changes for him? Something switches for him. He goes to the sanctuary of the Lord. And it's funny, too, because it's a wearisome task to think through these things, isn't it? You ever been in a wearisome place where you're trudging through and you're in the stink and you're trying to get through and you're trying to make it and you see that other people seem to be doing better? It's just wearisome. And then your mind is going 100 miles an hour. Why aren't they dealing with the stuff that I'm dealing with? I remember uh, I was talking to my dad and my grandparents when they passed away. They passed away really close to each other. And um, this was back in 2008. And so one of my dad's friends reached out to him and was trying to comfort my dad. And so he flew in town. He had recently lost his parents as well. And so this guy came in to comfort my dad, who we knew, and he was a blessing. And he flew in. And when he flew in, he said it was around Easter time for him, as he was flying and doing business, rather. Um, he got on the plane, and all the flight attendants were wearing like bunny masks. This is Easter. And he, he, sat, he said to my dad, he said, I know what you're going through. When I lost my parents, I jumped on the plane. Here I am, and I'm flying, and the stinking stewardess guy in front of me has a bunny mask, and I wanted to knock that dude out. <laughs> How dare you wear a bunny mask when I'm going through this? How dare you make light of this flight? This is not a fun flight. What's wrong with you? And just that angst of life sometimes that comes up and things that we feel. It's wearisome. It's wearisome trying to figure out life sometimes, especially when we realize we're not God. We don't get to magically wish things. And so here's this guy, Asaph, and he's pretty, he's actually a pretty wealthy guy, potentially. So depending which Asaph it is, this is an Asaph from a family that's well known. This is the main worship leader of the country family. This is the guy where there's these orchestra people all through the generations that everybody knows. Everywhere he goes, people are asking for autographs. Everywhere he goes, this Asaph guy, he's been to places that other people could only dream of. Because his dad, or his grandpa, or himself, because we're not sure which one, was friends with King David. They played guitar together in the band. And so he was backstage as a kid when his dad was playing with David. He was backstage when they were talking about 
David's heart desire to make a temple. He was backstage when they talked about the Philistines invading and the politics of the nation and things that are happening and seeing the goodness of God and writing these songs that are the songs of the nation. This is the, this is the Billboard Top 100. It's number 73. And that's like, this is it. And so this guy, he's not, he's not a nobody. This is not a songwriter who came out of poverty and nobody knew him and he's this rising star and, and he made it on America's Got Talent and suddenly everybody knows him. This is a guy who's well known already. He's already got what everybody else would say, wow, that's the good life. You get to eat with the king? You must be fat and sleek. That's what Asaph probably was. But he's looking around and comparing himself to all these other people, particularly people who are walking in wickedness, walking in violence, walking in deceit, and saying, man, I don't have what they have. And it's wearisome, isn't it? It's wearisome to try to walk through life and figure that out. It's also wearisome to walk through life and try to figure out, is God happy with me today? To wake up in the morning and be not sure. To wake up in the morning and write a list of 50 things that you think you do be, need to do before God will accept you today. It's a wearisome task to try to compare yourself to other people not just in terms of profits or prosperity, but in terms of holiness. And Asaph grounds himself back in the place where he grew up. And he comes to the sanctuary. And suddenly everything changes. What, what kind of things change for him? What does he start to talk about? What do you notice? Yeah, I'd say growing closer to the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. He, he sees God and he remembers that God is the judge and that God is going to yeah. take care of people who are not cutting in and bringing in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, notice what he says too. It's, it's not, oh Lord, ruin their day for me. <laughs> it's not, oh Lord, make them fall today so that we're, my righteousness is demonstrated. It, he, he's almost concerned about them. You get that feeling? So he, he comes and he says, truly you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors? He went from one moment saying how great it would be to be a gangster to those guys are swept away by terrors. And you hear this way he's using the language. All the English teachers are ringing, right? What, what's the language he's using? Slippery swept away. My foot was there. I almost, I almost stumbled. Are these words that he's using? And now he's realizing those guys are stumbling. They are slipping away and they have nothing to grab onto. And so for Asaph, suddenly everything changes and he's got something to ground himself in again in the sanctuary. What is he going to hang on to? The Lord. Where does he say that? Nevertheless, in 23, I am continually with you. But here's the thing, ready? You hold my right hand. He doesn't say, I cling on to you. I'm slipping, I'm falling, I almost stumbled. You hold my right hand. 
when I lived, I lived in the Middle East for a little bit. When I lived in the Middle East, whenever you want to demonstrate to people um, the closeness that you have with another person, you hold hands. That was a cultural shift for me. Uh, men holding hands together. Kissing, if you're really, really special, kiss on the mouth. Struggled with that. <laughs> Did not do that one. <laughs> Did not do that one. But you sit very close together. Physical proximity is important. And so if I would go uh, working with police, if I would go meet the mayor or meet the police chief, and we were gonna tour the police station, usually uh, we'd start walking and they would just take my hand. And we're just walking together hand in hand. Sometimes both hands, sometimes like lingering. We're not like, let's walk there. We're just sort of walking together. For the benefit of us, we're friends. We're this is how tight we are. But also everybody else sees it. Oh man, those guys are friends. And there's something about that that we miss culturally. We have it in handshakes. If you make a deal and you shake hands, that's a done deal, right? But you don't linger. You know, uh, yeah, thumb work? No, you don't do that. <laughs> but in this culture, you do. If the deal's struck and you're friends, now you're going to linger together and sort of saunter around and holding hands and demonstrating your loyalty to one another. And this is our friendship. And God has taken this guy's hand. God, the master, the judge of the whole earth, is taking Asaph's hand, who is a man of doubt, who is a man stricken by wearisome thoughts because he cannot figure it out, who's a man whose feet feel like they're even stumbling. And the Lord takes him by hand and walks him through. That's powerful in this image of what the Lord conveys. The Lord is saying, this is, this is my guy. And this guy is writing songs for the whole nation to give glory to God. And the Lord is giving a vote of confidence by holding his hand. Another thing about this in this culture is the greater person always stands on the right. The greater person always stands on the right. So when God says, sit down at my right hand to the Lord, He's putting Jesus in a place, the place of honor. Because most people are right-handed. They're the best warriors, the best fighters. Always keep their right hand free. Never, you never encumber them to be able to do business or to defend the group or whatever. So the greater person, the greater warrior, takes the lesser person by hand and walks them around. You do this instinctively with your children. You're walking around with a toddler and you're in Six Flags or you're at Disney World, God forbid, or wherever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there's a lot of crowds of people, and you need to defend them and make sure they're okay. And you grab their hand, you grab their hand with your non-dominant hand so that you can work your way through. And you can, if you need to move somebody away or whatever, if it's a dangerous situation, you're going to protect them. Right? If you really want to, now if they're falling off a ledge, you're going to grab them with the other hand, right? But generally speaking, when you're walking, it's this way. And so here's Asaph. Asaph's right hand is taken by the Lord. It's like a child. Like a child who's being grabbed by the Father to walk with him now as a sign of loyalty, as a sign of grace, as a sign of familial love. But also because the Lord is the one who in this situation is going to fight for Asaph. And Asaph, in realizing this relationship, is also walking around and saying, these guys that I thought were great are falling to ruin, surrounded and taken by terrors. But I know I have one who is taking me by hand, even my hand that I would fight with. 
that I would be safe with him. This is a massive declaration. I think a lot of Christians really want to take God by the hand, but we'd rather that we get to hold him with our left hand so we can lead the way and just say, oh, do that for me, Lord. Do this for me. Let's show, let me show you this. Show, see? We could do this. It's a proclivity that's in us. But Asaph's psalm is reminding us that the Lord, the warrior, this is the God who bared his strong right arm, he says, to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. That same God is taking Asaph by the hand like a child to fight for him, to defend him, to show him the reality of life. And what's Asaph's response to this? We already see it in verse 20. Verse 21, rather. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish. That means alone and rude. I was ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Who is he like a beast toward? God. And he's, conf he's confessing a sin, isn't he? He's coming to the Lord. He's not coming in his arrogance. He's coming in the humility of knowing that it's God's grace upon him. It's the Lord's hand that holds him and moves him forward. It's the Lord's hand that fights for him. It's the Lord's hand that opens his eyes. It's the Lord's hand that enables him. It's the Lord's hand that does all of it. But as for me, he says in verse 28, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Boy, what a change. What a change from the beginning. Is this even worth it? God is my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Anything else stand out to you? He has no one else but God. He has no one else but God. Yeah, amen. Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. That's a huge statement. Why is that such a big statement? Does he start off the psalm in faithfulness? No. He's included in that. You put an end to all who are unfaithful to you. And we've started off the psalm, though, in slipping and wandering and stumbling we started off the psalm in this place of unsurety, and yet it's God's hand that holds him. We're reading the psalm today for this reason. It strikes me that a lot of Christians believe that when the Lord saved us, and this is the gospel, we were separated from God, unfaithful to him. We were without hope in the world. There was no way that we could bridge the gap to come from where we were in our own sin and rebellion and selfishness to come to God who is completely holy and have a relationship with him and no life. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death. We earn death through our sin against God. And the Lord solved that problem by sending his own son, Jesus, who died for us, taking that punishment of death, that we might be freed from the wrath of God of which we were under. And instead now, by faith, we say, Lord, I believe in you, your death, your resurrection, that you have 
not only taking the punishment from me, but that when you rose, Lord, you brought me with you, that I will be yours. And the Bible says those who believe in Jesus are new creations in Christ, that our eyes become fixed on him, that we are made his. And now as the beloved of God, not only are you freed from your sin because that was dealt with in Christ, but God, even in his great love for us, takes Christ's own righteousness and places it upon us. That, that bridge, that gap that's there, where we could never be good enough to get to God, the Lord put Christ's goodness onto you that you come into his presence. How amazing. That's the gospel. But many Christians look like Asaph at the world. They hear this good news of the gospel that the Lord takes our hand by his mighty arm, that he fights for us, that he sent his son for us, that he sent his son not only to live a perfect life, but to die and then rise again, that he puts us in there with Christ somehow by the Holy Spirit, and that we get raised with him and life comes through us, and we hear all this good news, and then we take that good news and we say, Lord, thank you that you gave me a redo on life. I'll earn it this time. This time, my feet won't stumble. This time, I'm going to be secure because I know you did all that for me. And so now I have the opportunity to start fresh. My credit account is clean. I have no more bank account balance that's due. And now it's going to be all good for Jesus. And then we get two days into it and the weariness of watching other people and I'm not as holy as that guy, and I stumbled already, and I feel like I'm about to slip, and these gangsters seem to be thriving. What's happening? And all of a sudden, we realize that we just, the redo doesn't work. Because God didn't give us a redo in the gospel. He gave us righteousness. And unless you stand in his righteousness, unless you eat his body, and drink his blood, unless you are in Christ, unless your whole hope is in him, unless you take your right hand, your dominant hand, if you're left-handed, and give it to God and say, Lord, I trust you more than I trust me. I trust you more than what I can do. I trust you that my feet will not slip because you are the creator of all things. I trust you that you're holding me like a child, that I'm not going to be lost or threatened or taken away, that I won't fall because you have me. Unless we do that, you don't have a portion in him because you can't come to Jesus and say, Lord, I receive what you did, but really, here's what I've done. Aren't I great? The Lord will not receive it because it will never be as good as Jesus. And he's the only one at the name of Jesus. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that he is Lord. He is perfect in all his ways. And we have this thing inside of us to say, I'll, I'll, I'll earn it. I can do it. I can be there. I can be just as good. It's not true. And the truth of the matter is, like Asaph, come into his sanctuary. Come where he is. Remember what he's done. Bow your knee to him and say, Lord, it's not me. It's you. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me yours. And feel the righteousness of his robes put on you. That you don't come into God's presence clothed in your own good work. It's like rags. You come into his presence clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died and rose again. Amen. In that way now, like Asaph, we can say, all those who are unfaithful to you are swept away. But Lord, I'm not swept away because you're holding me. And I'm safe in you. And there's something so freeing in the gospel to stand in him. 
you know, it, it would be so great. I just had a meeting this week with Suzanne about um, she's not allowed to work more than twice a month in the child care. We need more volunteers. We've got to figure it out. It's easier to use guilt. It's easier. It's easier to use guilt for things. If you don't, go to sleep, children, and stop annoying me so I can wrap these presents. Santa will not come. You will go to sleep if you want anything good. If he's watching. He's got a list. He knows. Naughty nice. Put the cookies out. You better do something good for him or you're not going to get anything good. You want coal this year? I'm checking that list. There's a record. Brothers and sisters, the record of our debt was nailed to the cross. The record of our debt was nailed to the cross. That now we have become the righteousness of God in Christ, not of ourselves, but because he did it. Unless you receive Christ and his grace, which is a free gift not earned, so that no one can boast, only Christ earned it. Only him. That's why at every knee, at, every, at the mention of his name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Because he has earned it. He is worthy. But for us, we are in him. We don't try to make ourselves worthy. And now if you are in him, let that record stay dead on the cross and stop bringing it up. There's a proclivity in us not only to try to bring up our, our earnings before God. Look, look what I did for you, Lord. But also this proclivity to look back on things way in the past and try to discount ourselves. Here's Asaph. He's a guy who starts off basically saying, I, I'm, I'm slipping. I envy these guys. I envy these gangsters. I wish I could be like that. I'm already walking down this path because they've got it figured out. And the Lord arrests his heart to bring him back into communion with himself. And the first thing he does, Lord, forgive me. I was brutish. I was arrogant. Lord, I want to be yours. Father, you hold everyone in your hand. Oh, Lord, I need you. I need you. I'm telling us this today because we can live life not looking at the reality of what things really are. And a lot of times, a lot of people, when they ask the question, what does God think about you right now? The answer usually is, yeah, you know, things I can work on. Things I can work on. What can I do about that? I, you know, I could probably tithe more. I could probably help volunteer a little bit more. Uh, probably if I was less angry at my kids. Uh, actually, you know, school year's about to start. I should probably be a room mom. Uh, that would help. Maybe if I... I don't know. I have a whole sack of clothes that I'm never going to fit in again that have been sitting in my closet for two years. I should just donate them. That God probably would be like, yeah, way to go. I've been waiting for you to do that. You know, then he'll bless me. And this goes through our minds. And it's not the gospel. What does God think of you right now? If you are in Christ, then the Lord sees the righteousness of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, on you as his beloved, as 
the prize of Christ, the one whom he has earned as the apple of his eye, as the one that he has called from death to life. You are filled with his spirit. You are his by birthright. Your place is in his sanctuary. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You are his through and through. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death. Because his love on you is so complete. His gospel is so big. His grace is so magnificent. His mercies are new every morning that you are his forever. That's the truth. And now when we say, what does God think of me now? You can say, he thinks I'm his child. He's holding my hand. He's fighting for me. He's my Lord. I'm going through the worst experience of my life, and it looks like these gangsters are doing great, but I know that God has my hand. And so I look to him, and I say, Lord, you are my everything. Who have I in heaven but you? What do I desire on earth but you? I thought it was that. But Lord, that's terror. And in you are true riches. And it's the riches of grace and mercy and being his. Let that be a balm to your heart. Because it's wearisome to try to do it yourself. And it's wearisome to compare yourself to everybody else. You're never, it never works, does it? Instead, just look to him and just fix your eyes on the Savior and say, Lord, here's my hand. So how do you respond to this? We're going we're gonna to sing the doxology now if I can have the musicians come back up. Uh, yes, sir, please. A small application please. To this this morning, since you've opened it up. Please. I, I think um, there's a couple of very important dynamics going on here. Mm -hmm. I think by way of application, what we could say as a people is we do identify and we see people that are living very happy, wealthy, prosperous lives of perceived contentment, right? And when you look at it, it's, you know, in verse 3, he says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Mm. And then he goes on and he cites all of the things that they have enjoyed and what they're, you know, um, how they're living apart from God. And he was jealous of that. Mm -hmm. Well, here's an application for us. We all know people who are very wealthy. We all know people who are doing well in life. And they need the gospel. Yes. Amen. They're going to hell. Amen. Yeah. They're, God is their stomach. Their bank account. Mm -hmm. Their swimming pool. Yes. Their fancy car. And you know, I don't begrudge anybody Wealth and prosperity, that is great. But it becomes a problem when that is their God. And I think it's, a, it's an eye-opener as I read these things. And mm -hmm. yeah, we've been envious, we've looked at things, and we've been a little jealous. I think we'd all have to come to some term of honesty. Yeah. Oh, it must be nice. This is great. Yeah. But I think until there's a proper perspective, mm -hmm. who do I have in heaven but thee? There's none upon the earth that I desire but thee. Though my heart and my flesh fail, you are the strength of my heart. Yes. And my portion forever. Yes. In other words, perspective comes. And yes. the riches that we have mm -hmm. far outweigh anything mm -hmm. the arrogant yeah. and the wicked could ever accumulate. Yes. And it's only by God's common grace that they are accumulating the things that they have. Mm -hmm. So it's still God 
who is blessing them. It's true. And so we have a responsibility to help point them toward the God who has yes. done that. Yes, amen. And then as I finish out, Paul sees the same dynamic when he says this. He says, we impart the hidden wisdom of God. For what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who loves them. Mm. And he says that these things God has revealed to us from the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him. For also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Amen. That we might understand the things that are freely given to us. Amen. And that we impart in this this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. Mm. In other words, it's the gospel. Yes. It's that God has a great treasure that is unspeakable for all of his people. Amen. And this temporal world will pass away. Yeah. And so I just would offer that. Amen. That we would be a people that would see that the wicked, though they are prospering, they need the gospel. Yes. And we need to tell them the truth. Yeah. Amen. And we need to keep our eye fixed upon Christ and all the glories of the gospel that you just described. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. Amen. So three th here's three things that we need to do for, for specific application. Number one, assess and stew on this in your heart this week. Stew on it in your heart. And assess yourself realistically. What does God think of me right now? And if your answer is anything other than the gospel and knowing him, bring it to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to hold your hand. We can do that right now during the song as we lift our hands up to him and say, Lord, take my hand. I'm yours. Forgive me. I was arrogant. I was brutish. Forgive me. So stew on it this week, number one. Number two, quickly repent and raise your hands to him. Quickly repent and raise your hands to him and let the robes of righteousness just feel them on you because you're his. And number three, Embrace his mission. There are people dying, needing the truth. Who do you know? Who do you know who you know needs to know the truth of God? Don't come at them and say, read the psalm, that's you. It's not going to help them. <laughs> Take them to lunch, buy them lunch, and say, I want to tell you about how great God is. Here's all the things he's done in my life. This is what the gospel is. I desperately want you to know him. Not buy my Tupperware. You know, come to, I desperately want you to come to church so you can see Jesus. Do you know him? I want you to know him. I'm desperate for you to know him because I know him. I'm telling you, life, he's the strength of my heart. What's the strength of your heart? And just let God do the work. Amen? But thank you, Mike. That's, we need, we got to reach out. We got to reach out. So number one, Stew on it. Bring all these things to God. Be honest with him. Number two, raise your hands quickly to him. Ask, repent, repent and ask for forgiveness quickly from him, knowing the gospel. And number three, let's tell everyone, specifically those that God's already put in our lives, the truth of his gospel. Amen?